You are listening to Urban to Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today we're chatting with Mimi Prunella Hernandez. Mimi is the executive director of the American Herbalist Guild and formerly served as the director of the Appalachian Center for Ethnobotanical Studies at Frostburg State University in Maryland. She draws upon her rich ethnic background and the influence of her granny healers to inspire her work as a clinical herbalist, educator, and ethnobotanist. Mimi has dedicated her life's work to serving as an advocate for both traditional and professional herbal pathways while building cultural bridges of understanding. She is a new herbal by National Geographic coming out next year. And you can follow her on Instagram at Herbal Forager or on her website at herbalnightschool.com or join her Facebook group, Advanced Herbal Science. Cool. Welcome, Mimi. Thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to have you on. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you both. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Right now, Mimi, we're recording this podcast in the heart of the summer, and I've been seeing sunflowers blooming all around me. So many people get excited about sunflowers, not just for their blossoms, of course, but, you know, sunflower seeds. But a lot of people don't know that sunflower is a healing herb. And they don't Mm -hmm. think about that with a lot of common foods, but especially sunflower. And I was wondering if you could talk about that or your favorite ways to work with sunflower. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I love sunflower. And one of the reasons I feel really aligned with sunflower is that it's a native plant of Mexico. And I have lots of family from Mexico. And so I love the story of sunflower, you know, in the Aztec culture, it was very revered. They, it goes by this name called Shima Soshil, which means literally shield flower because it looked, they're a warrior nation and it looked like a shield to them and also associated with their warrior sun god. And so when the Spaniard came, they named it Hirasol, which means it tours with the sun. If anyone, you know, if you've ever seen a sunflower field, you see those big rays of sunflower you know, turn from one end of the sky to the other as it follows the sun. And so, you know, it's just so, so interesting. And then to to use it as medicine is, you know, really became a curiosity for me mm-hmm. as, as I was writing my book and really looking to highlight plants, not just of European ancestry, but some Native American, South American, you know, plants of the world. So, you know, the first thing that I've realized about sunflower is that a lot of the Mexican healers do say it's it's edible, even the young greens. And of course, we've all had the the little sprouts, you know, and, and they're really high. They've got that whole full spectrum of amino acids and they're really high in B vitamins. And But the leaves, once they leave that sprout phase, the leaves really aren't that delicious. They're super bitter, which means it could be a great dietary bitter, but mostly uh, using these leaves, which are also astringent as a dress for wounds, as a spit poultice for bee stings and insect bites. Also just like infused in alcohol or vinegar as a liniment for sore muscles. Sometimes I like to mix it with cayenne and vinegar with some of the greens and and so use that for a liniment. And then those little yellow petals on the ray, those little rays 
are very flavonoid rich. And so we can make tea out of the yellow petals, a good gargle for bleeding gums Mm. and sore throats because they're really nourishing Mm. for collagen. Speaking of liniment, what menstruum would you use? Like what kind of vinegar? Oh, I like using just apple cider vinegar. So I'll put a little cayenne in there and some sunflower leaves. And and I might warm it up if I need the liniment sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'll do a typical apple cider infused vinegar or cayenne sunflower leaf infused vinegar. You know, let it soak for a few days and and shake it every day and then strain it out. And that's your your liniment for sore muscles. And and my grandmother also would uh, use sunflower leaves in just rubbing alcohol. And she had this rubbing alcohol that was like, you know, on the shelf and she would use that sunflower leaf infused rubbing alcohol also as a liniment for when you had a fever. So she would like, you know, rub it around the body with a lot of friction and then wrap the person up in blankets until, you know, the, the sweat comes on. So that's that cooling sweat. So, and then, you know, a syrup, it's also known as an expectorant. So a syrup or a decoction to clear phlegm or even an herbal smoke blend, some of dried leaf in the herbal smoke blend with, with, you know, other herbs or even tobacco to help facilitate expectoration. Wow. And that syrup, would you put the flowers, the leaves, or yeah, what plant part would you put? The leaves and the yellow petals, but mainly the leaves. Again, it's Mm -hmm. going to be so bitter. You know, it's it's a very, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love my bitters. Like I love dandelion leaves and and just even my bitter greens, but this is a, a whole nother level, kind of online with like bone set, that really deep, deep, bitter flavor. So it's a deep, do you think like, Honey would be good or honey would be like great to make a syrup for, for, for expectorant. I think honey would be great. Ideal. Yes. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Taking <laughs> notes cool. done. <laughs> I know. I well, I love the idea that when you think differently about a lot of plants that you're putting in your garden, you know, you could plan it and always make sure oh, I've got, I've got something to help with a poultice for something this time of year and this time of year and this mm-hmm. time. Of year. I just, I, as as somebody who's sort of um, a bit of a lazy herbalist or I just like to go out and just know things are growing <laughs> that I could just go and pick versus like making a bunch of stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, right. It's right there. We've got a big sunflower patch here. It's so beautiful. My fiance, mm. Terry, just loves tending to those sunflowers. They're taller than us. They're just like all different colors. Just, yeah, so, so beautiful up there on the hill. And then there's the food too. I mean, we all know the seeds are really healthy. In Mexico, they make something called an atole, atole de teja, which is an atole of sunflowers. And, and atole, I guess, translates to like porridge. And there's lots of different atoles. You can make atole from all kinds of ingredients. It's kind of a a masa, like a cornmeal-based beverage. You know, the chocolate atole is probably the most you know, popular, but atole de teja is a very filling, nourishing breakfast. And it's usually served when there's a lot of family around, like, like on holidays or, you know, funerals and family gatherings and and things like this. It's the, the matriarch would make a big pot of atole de teja. And and just, I mean, that'll just stick to your ribs for a few hours. (laughs) 
And is there much with like the roots too, or is it more with the the aerial parts? Yeah. So I haven't really used the roots, but I have found a couple recipes to make like a root slaw. But I have to say, I haven't gotten that far yet because I was so put off by the bitter leaves. (laughs) So, but I guess now that, you know, we've got this, this huge patch out there, now would be the time to go out there and poke around and pull up a couple plants and, and take a nibble of those roots and see what, what, you know, what I can come up with. I am a huge kitchen herbalist, so I love cooking, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I just love being creative in the kitchen. So it's like right up my alley. Also heard, you know, people can munch on the stalks, like celery sticks. They just like chop those root stalks or the sunflower stalks and, and, mm-hmm. and chew on them like celery sticks. But you know, too, there's so many varieties of sunflowers these days. And totally. so, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not sure that we're using the same sunflowers that these stories talk, you know, right. evolved from mm-hmm. in Mexico, but I would, I'm, I'm here to, to try it all. So I'm, I'm really like just yeah. uh, throwing myself into these cultural foods. I admire your courage um, <laughs> in just getting out there and trying different things. And I think that sunflower is perfect for people because I don't have to worry about like, is this going to kill me or am I going to do something <laughs> like I can, uh-huh. you know, dig it up and taste it and see what it's like and, you know, use your senses and you don't have to make something with it. Just like be curious, go out and taste a leaf or taste this different flower, you know, and see like, what might this, you know? So that's the thing. That's how we learn, right? Just by doing right. experimenting. Right. Totally. This makes me think about Mimi. I met you a few weeks ago at the Wild Herb Weekend Conference in North Carolina, and you were talking about prickly pear cactus, and you were sharing with us some of the many amazing kitchen creations you had made with prickly pear. One was this beautiful birthday cake where you'd added prickly (laughs) pear juice to the frosting. And I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about prickly pear cactus and the medicine of that plant and how you work with that and bring it into your kitchen as well. Oh my gosh. I love, I've always loved uh, cactus leaves for food. I grew Mm -hmm. up in my quinceanera. Everyone was raving about the cactus strips that, that were made into this little kind of slaw and, and that side dish was so phenomenal, but you know, so I've grown up just like most Mexican households, they have cactus very regularly, kind of like we would in America have green beans or corn every day. You know, cactus is just part of your everyday offering. And, and so growing up, like having the cactus salad with, with my meals was one thing, but then learning how medicinal they are, uh, especially with, with blood sugar, with, with helping people, uh, regulate their blood sugar and, and people who are prone to diabetes type two. So we're talking about the actual cactus leaf, the green portion that's, that has like that slime in the middle, right? That mucilage. And, uh, that mucilage really just helps slow down absorption of, of glucose. And, and there's lots of studies out there right now, you know, discussing that, that effect. And so that's, the cactus. And, and as I recall, when we were in that class, we had a couple of volunteers who, you know, took the time to scrape those spines <laughs> off and, and cut around the outside and make it, you know, cause you got to work to get to the cactus. Totally. There's, you know, cause you don't want to get poked or pricked. And so, but it's worth it. And just eating that, 
that cactus leaf is is one thing, but then there's the fruits that are so phenomenal around mm-hmm. my neighborhood. We have we actually have a native uh, cactus. I live in North Carolina, and it's Opuntia humifusa, which is the eastern prickly pear. And so I've got oh. a huge stand of it up here on my land. And so I've had all kinds of adventures exploring this cactus and it yields about five to 10 gallons of cactus fruits. So I've got like so many fruits to experiment (laughs) with here. Wow. (laughs) The fruits are edible that again, you have to get all the little spines off. And I do that by, I make a sand bath. I, I just have like a bucket of sand and these long rubber gloves. And I put every little prickly pear in there and scrub it and scrub all the little glockets off those little spines and then put it in a water bath. And so until like the skin is really smooth and and then I'm not afraid of them anymore, but yeah, they're (laughs) really obviously high in those like really colorful pigments, those antioxidant pigments, really the ones that grow here are really bright fuchsia. And I ferment them. I make wine from them. The in mm. in Mexico, the traditional ferment is called colonche. So it's just like a, a ferment, which is so delicious. And I make all kinds of things: jellies, juice, uh, infused vinegars, fruit roll-ups. You, you oh, name nice. it. oh my gosh, amazing! Yeah, yeah, good <laughs> stuff. I love it. So I'm wondering, Mimi, about prickly pear. Um, so say if you wanted to use it for blood sugar issues, is it? do you have to use it fresh, like buying it or harvesting it? Or is there other preparations a person can try it, you know, to use it for that regularly? Right. And so the research that I've seen around this and, and my favorite research is that research that, that looks at it you know, alongside your favorite Mexican foods, <laughs> they'll have people eat mm-hmm. Mexican food and then take, and then have the cactus on the side. So the studies tend to be on the fresh, like as a, mm-hmm. as a side dish or as a garnish, I should say. And so in America, it's something you might look for in that Mexican aisle of your grocery store where it, it you can find it canned or, or bottled, already cut into strips. And yeah, you can find it in fresh also in some groceries where they've already scraped all the thorns off. And, and so, you know, then you have to be creative that what you find already canned, I like to put like onions and tomatoes and cilantro and, and just make like a little garnish from that. But, you know, what you find fresh at the grocery store, if you get the fresh pads, you need to dice them up and steam them or saute them Mm -hmm. or, you know, warm them up and, and then make them with the you know, flavor them up or season them however you like. But I have seen them also as supplements encapsulated. So, you know, which, which is interesting. I would imagine you'd have to take lots of water with them because it is a mucilage that's really helping you out there. And so not everyone likes cactus. I mean, that's something we saw when we did that, that cactus workshop. But most most people were fine with it. Most people were really intrigued and and munched. We munched on it for a little bit. So... Yeah. Yeah. So the fun part about herbs is experimenting and mm-hmm. using the actual plant and tasting the plant. So, you know, whenever possible, don't go right to capsules, right? Just like try to experience the plant if you at all possible first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, 
I definitely prefer the food. I, you know, I'm really drawn to foods as medicine wherever possible. Mm. And, you know, when we can use herbs in our food, I think it really yeah. synergizes us better with the body. The body just seems to assimilate it better. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, with, with, in the case of prickly pear, it's all, you know, based on the ethnobotany of foods of Mexico and the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And, and so I often defer to tradition, you know, if, if, how am I going to use it? Well, how did mm-hmm. they use it, you know, and, and how, mm-hmm. how did my family, you know, how was I raised using it? So it was as a, as a side dish. So kind of as a little garnish. Hey, Tara. Hi, Judd. Do you know what's radical? You know, I don't. Tell me. <laughs> Thomas Easley's Radical Herbal. That sounds pretty rad. <laughs> but it's not like radical. It's radical. Get it? Play on words like about uh, root. Oh my god. The root, the root <laughs> of healing. Yeah. Very impressive dad joke there. I like it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you said that because last night I was hanging out in the kitchen with my daughter and her new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, and I created a new dad joke on the fly that was so funny they both laughed. <laughs> Wow, and then, what, but what, what was but, it? I know, but what happened was was that I followed it up. I was ready to follow it up with a, my, my the next joke I had like in my arsenal about to say this joke. Totally. And then my daughter beat me to the punch and said it first. And then <laughs> it kind of took all the air out of the room with that moment. And, and I was <laughs> like, oh man, this is a new boyfriend. I wanted to impress him. <laughs> Gen Z, they're pretty quick on their feet, you know? They are, they are. Oh, right. So radical, it's very radical. So radical herbal is a (laughs) new... So Thomas Easley. Okay, so we're talking to Mimi Hernandez. You know how we're talking to Mimi Hernandez? And she lives in North Carolina. And coincidentally, so does Thomas Easley. Oh my gosh. I know. It's an herbal hub. Wow. It's It's a hub of herbal. They're all rooted. It's very radical. So if you want to go to North Carolina, like, and you were just in North Carolina, weren't you? I was just in North Carolina so for the first time. Well, I was at the Wild Herb Weekend Conference, and that's actually where I met Mimi and heard her talk oh, all about prickly pear cactus and rose and rue and other herbs. So it was like, she has to be on the pod. She's amazing. God, it's all coming together now. It truly is with anyway. that intense voice. <laughs> So, so, so Thomas is a radical herbal, like he's a radical ACLA and an ICLA herbalist. And I was like, Thomas, well, you know, a little background. I had a health issue once and, and, and I called Thomas who has a, like you can hire him as a consultant, his, mm-hmm. his, his clinic. And he gave me this amazing advice. And I was like, you know, we should share this with the herb mentor community. So what we did over, you know, a couple of years, took a little while to get it together, mm-hmm. but we worked on it slowly and we are now completed and it's on herb mentor. And you can start listening now, Thomas Easley's radical herbal which is understanding our bodies and the herbs that make them healthy. So we're, it's just, this isn't somewhere it's like, hey, I want to cure something. What do I take for my lungs or my GI tract or my immune system? It's more, it's more like, how does this, how does, how do my lungs work? How do, you know, how, mm-hmm. how does my immune system and lymphatic system work, the GI tract work? And then what are a few herbs that we can tonify? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have 10 audio episodes. Isn't that cool? Very cool. 
Yeah, they're great. As someone who um, edited all of them, <laughs> I learned a oh, lot. Oh, so you knew about this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a surprise, <laughs> though I did act very excited. <laughs> Sorry to, uh, you know, mess with our suspension of disbelief here. But <laughs> yeah, I learned so much from every episode, you know, even after going to herb school for a few years, like Thomas just has such a unique approach and really opened my mind to different ways of thinking about herbalism and deeply rooted wellness. So I'm excited to listen again, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we when we're learning about herbs, we we read in a plant monograph that, you know, let's say uh, astragalus is good for the immune system or, you know, lemon balm is good for my nervous system or oat straw. And then you're like, well, how did this body system work you know, through the lens of an herbalist? Totally. And that's where this comes in and you can listen to them just like a podcast it's just audio mm-hmm. so you can put it on like listen to the whole series one after the other uh, put it one out a week uh, starting in early september and uh let's see what's it bring us through here tar we've got uh, got stressed out the nervous system one yeah you bet we do yeah yeah <laughs> we got some digestive track episodes we have one on the upper gi then we move down to the lower gi lovely yes love it we talk about detox pathways and connect the blood the liver and the kidneys together i mean it just goes on and on and i think about how when i first started learning about plants you know like you're saying you just mm-hmm. read about lemon balm like oh this is really good for the nervous system but it doesn't really come to life until you're working with the plant or, you know, seeing the plant in person. And I think about that for the human body, too. I can read a textbook about the human body, but working through Thomas's episodes and really listening to him, it really brought it to life, like how every body system works together. So and how those work with the herbs it was it was really incredible. It was animating. Very animating. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love our logo. So you have to go and see the Thomas Easley Radical Herbal logo. Um, you can see that in Herb Mentor. And Tara, let's see, I think we have a special offer for Herb Mentor Radio listeners. Where did they go again? Oh, yeah. They just go to HerbMentorRadio.com. Yeah. Put that into the old URL browsers on the searching net there. Yeah, that's what my daughter calls <laughs> the internet. It'll bring up a page, another dad joke. And there's an offer there. Yeah. And there's you could just join right there. And as soon as you join on... There are others, courses too, Jim McDonald, Larkin Bunce, and Todd Caldecott, all kinds of podcast style and video courses, ones with Rosemary Gladstar. And there's no mm-hmm. hurry. You can just kind of like, you know, work on them and listen and watch as you please. It's all about the adventure on Herb Mentor, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, such a good adventure to be on, honestly. Mm, absolutely. So speaking of adventure, let's uh, hear a little more about Mimi Hernandez's adventure. Let's do it. That leads to what I'm wondering next. The next question is that you've talked about the sunflower prickly pear using these in traditional ways. I'd like to hear about like how you grew up learning about it because it sounded like you grew up in your family, like you have things handed down because some Mm -hmm. people get into herbs uh, later in life or maybe they had a health Mm -hmm. situation, but you actually have a family lineage. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I spent, so one side, my mother's side of the family is Colombiana, Col- Colombian from Bogota and around the country of Colombia. And my other family side was a Mexican. And so I spent a lot of time in Mexico growing up, summers, most holidays or, you know, the end of the year holidays. 
And I had a very elder abuelita there who was kind of seen as the local neighborhood healer and especially for like kids and just common family issues. And so we'd always like get knocks on the door for people who had, you know, their kid has a cold or someone's constipated or a lot of spiritual concerns. You know, we have a lot of spiritual diseases that that my grandmother would look at, look after. And so I wouldn't say that she taught me. I would say that I was just like the fly on the wall. I was like her shadow. I just followed her around and, and watched what she was doing. And she had a little courtyard garden and she would pick herbs and as she needed them and, and, and pray while she picked them and, and put them on her altar. She had an altar to the Virgin Mary, as most Mexican households do. And I watched her do several of, of you know, her kitchen remedies and, and her, you know, tending to the neighborhood children. And, and so it wasn't hmm. until, until I was a grown up that, and, and she had passed away that I realized that I was going to be an herbalist. And so all these memories started coming back of like being around my grandmother doing, you know, working with herbs. And so I had not really, you know, considered it as, some formal education or anything, but it definitely was an influence to me. And especially later in life, because I had taken such a scientific track of study in my academics. And I went to college for biochemistry and, and I, uh, you know, it was really kind of a super science person and, you know, just really went that route for a while. And I, there was something about like really needing to validate to myself that I could practice herbalism. And I think when I felt confident with the science, then these like traditional musings started appearing in my life and, and bringing me full circle to, you know, what I learned from my grandmother and watching her and that's when I kind of made the decision of like really taking a deeper dive into these ancestral herbs and, and foods and the stories of, of healing and kind of allowed myself to really live in that space and carry that medicine forward with confidence. So yeah, I never got a chance to tell her that I became an herbalist. That's hmm. something I always, oh. you know, I thought, what would she mm -hmm. think if I told her that, you know? Oh, she would have um, loved that. Oh, I know, I know. Or if I could like sit her down and just ask her questions and just say, okay, so what'd you do with this? And how'd you do that? You know, why do you, she used rum for all her tinctures and she never really strained them. She just kept adding to them. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, yeah. And like, <laughs> like in my, in my practice and, and growing up, I, or at least coming coming to become a herbal professional, like I was, went through a phase of doing like weight to volume ratios for everything, like percolation uh -huh. and, and, and all that. <laughs> and, and then, you know, at some point as I approached midlife, I just kind of dialed it way back. And now I'm just like wild crafted, wild folk medicine. Like if it worked for my grandma and she didn't ever measure anything. This will work for me. But that's, you know, mm -hmm. at least how I practice with my family and my household. So yeah, it has affect your teaching. So like you learn all these scientific methods and people might come to you and want to learn these. I mean, do you, do you, do you teach that and then circle back and say, Hey, it's about folk herbalism, or do you just kind of say, you know what, we're going to, you know, 
I'm going to teach you what I'm actually doing, <laughs> how I'm living and what my culture uh-huh. is. You know, that's such a great question. I think that it seems to be either or. So because I'm like the herbalist that people seek out to teach phytochemistry and, you know, herbal <laughs> solvency and things like that. And then, or I can teach you about spiritual diseases of Latin America and curanderismo, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, it's one or the mm-hmm. other, you know, and, and I'm more and more finding the way to blend those in. So especially if I'm teaching to a general herbal class of, about phytochemistry, and we're talking about plant medicine making and and I went, went through all the science of it and all the details. And then... I'm like, okay, but if this doesn't align with you, (laughs) just go Hmm. folk. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So I'm definitely become more folk as I grow older and wiser. Uh, But uh, like I said, (laughs) I don't work with clients, uh, you know, right now. So this is more like for my family and and my, you know, neighbors and, and myself. So, yeah. Hearing you talk about diving more into folk herbalism and talking about kitchen herbalism, whether it's the, you know, prickly pear cactus wine that you made or the frosting. I, I'm thinking about people who might be listening and are, they're excited about herbalism and, you know, maybe they're, they're reading the books, they're doing all the things, they're studying it from a scientific perspective, or they're just really intimidated and don't know how to start. I'm curious, mm-hmm. do you have tips for people who just want to bring herbs into their kitchen and just start really building relationships with those plants and bringing them into their home? Mm-hmm. I guess maybe a couple tips. My first idea would be to expand the colorful offerings of what's on your plate every day. And so this doesn't always have to be herbs, but it does start to, you know, sharpen the conscious toward toward those foods that provide vitality and longevity and antioxidant foods. And, you know, they're all based on color. And so if you can start mm-hmm. by just really taking an assessment of what your plate looks like and what kind of colors, mm-hmm. you know, add the reds and the blues and the purples. And 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 then also, you know, when you everyone says drink lots of water. Well, I like to drink water that's pink or blue or purple or red. You know, if, if I put a few hibiscus, <laughs> a few little hibiscus in my water or some blueberries in, in your water, or some, you know, you know, just like, I don't know, prickly pear juice, palm juice, just, you know, things like that, that bring more color into your diet. But also I think just gardening and even container gardening, because when I, I just finally, you know, I just turned 50 years old and like, it wasn't till about a year and a half ago that I got my first house with property, basically, well, my first house ever that I wasn't renting. And so I know what it's like to be a renter my whole life and not Mm -hmm. be able to garden. So I got really good at container gardening and some of these culinary herbs like basil and oregano and sage and lemon balm and lemongrass and thyme. I mean, these are really easy to grow in containers and, and just mm-hmm. have, you know, just put fresh herbs on your salads, on your soups, on, you know, make pesto. Yeah. Pesto from fresh herbs is one of the best things you can do. And those fresh herbs really, uh, you know, they're so antioxidant and they're so just give you so, so much nourishing goodness. And, and they're also like help you prevent colds. And, and, you know, if you're not feeling great, you know, they can perk you up. 
And so, you know, having like a little kitchen garden, even if it's just in containers is really fun. Mm -hmm. And then you get to know every little herb, you know, one at a time. And I never started things from seeds until I, I had my garden here, but I would just either get plants from friends or from like a nursery and then mm-hmm. they just take off in your containers and, and some of them come back year after year. It's like, what? So, <laughs> totally. um, you know, and then, and then learn to make tea from, from th- some of these, you know, and uh, again, like I said, I don't like drinking plain water. So, you know, tea is, uh, infusions are included in that. So I would, you know, snip some lemon balm leaves and make a yeah. lemon balm infusion for the day. Or, you know, what I have going right now, right now what's popping in my garden is holy basil and now Thai basil, which I've never used, but it's such a wonderful tea. Yeah. It yeah, tastes it tastes like good. a, like so, a yeah. tisane and keep it yes. in the refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I call it house tea. And so it's just, I always okay. have a pitcher of tea in the house. And it's just from whatever, like <laughs> it's not for any specific, it's not for any <laughs> specific condition. It's just to have tea in the house, you know, so this totally. week it's, it's holy basil and Thai basil. Who knows what it'll be next week. I'll just go punch around <laughs> and see what, what, you know, draws me or calls me. Mimi's mystery house tea. <laughs> Mimi's, <laughs> Mimi's tea of mystery. I, I, I'm always trying to come up with the, 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 the packaging here. For the, mm-hmm. no. okay. I like that. I like that. Can... <laughs> well, I love those herbs that you named too, just for having a container garden like that right there is a whole home apothecary, all these it culinary is. herbs. Absolutely. That just have mm-hmm. so many healing gifts. Oh, I was going to say, I love infused vinegars. If I'm ever like, what should I do mm. with this? Vinegar. <laughs> Because, I mean, that's just nothing more than putting fresh herb leaves. If you like the herb, you'll love the vinegar. So just put the fresh herb Mm -hmm. leaves in a a mason jar and top it off with apple cider vinegar and shake it. And a few days later, strain it, and there you go. So I use that for salad dressings, for marinades, for just drinking it by the spoonful here and there. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I love vinegar. So that's kind of my go-to of just putting herbs and vinegar and, and then getting a little bit every day. Yeah. You know, Mimi was talking about now she's, you have this land and you've been using, you know, had containers. I, I've had that situation too, where I moved a lot (laughs) and moved plants around. And now you have this, are you're working on a native plant sanctuary? Mm -hmm. Is that on your land that you're doing? It is. It is. So what is exactly is a native plant sanctuary? And, you know, and yeah, why are you doing this? This sounds great. Right, because I live in Appalachia and the Blue Ridge Mountains, and there's mm-hmm. just such an abundance of really beautiful plants here. Uh, and, you know, some of them are world famous, like ginseng and black cohosh and, and golden seal and, and plants like that. And, you know, what I see is a lot of people either coming through as tourists and poaching all the plants and then going to sell them somewhere else. Or a lot of just uh, commercial development that's just taking out habitat left and right. And or even for medicinal plants, a lot of over harvesting happening. And so some of these plants I feel need 
our protection. And it's not just for the medicine, it's also for the pollinators um, in the area, for the butterflies that we're on, we're, you know, monarchs come through here and I care about them and the honeybees and and so, so the plant sanctuary, there's a, a area of my land that is strictly devoted to protecting native plants. And so that's a native plant sanctuary. And my goal is to become a member of the United Plant Savers Native Plant Sanctuary Network, <laughs> Botanical Sanctuary Network is what they call it. And so just to ensure uh, habitat for our native animals and, and native species, because I also grow in an area where kudzu is prolific. And if you haven't right. heard of kudzu, I mean, it can, it's like this giant vine that doesn't have any competitors here. And it just takes over huge portions of neighborhoods and and, you know, it's it's here in my county. And so I'm fortunately have only had to pull out a little bit from my property. And so I'm actually kudzu free right now. But I've got a ton of Japanese honeysuckle that just cover mm. the entire forest floor. And, and I know oh people God. love honeysuckle. It's like smells pretty and it tastes good. And it, it's medicine in itself. But when it takes over the whole forest floor... There's right. hun- hundreds of species that are, you know, being choked out. And so I would love to just have the woods that that I look after be my energy directed to restoring them to their natural habitat. And it's been such a beautiful process to watch that because over the past year and a half, I've cleared so much honeysuckle. And in its place, I've seen yellow root flourish, horse mint, native trilliums, azaleas. I mean, it's just so many. And I've got lots of black cohosh here. I've been working on golden seal, you know, reintroducing it back to the the habitat here. And it's just been such a beautiful process to watch. I have a, a pond too, a small pond. And when I moved in, the the former owner had mowed all around the pond all the way to the bottom all the way to the water's edge. And so it was nothing but just like a lawn basically around a pond. So one thing that I did is started rewilding the pond, the edge, just a a couple feet around the edge. And I've got cardinal flowers and St. John's wort and bone set and just all these amazing native plants that are coming back in. And with that, I see dragonflies now everywhere, just flittering around and the fish Hmm. are really happy. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just been really beautiful to watch. And it really is, has been a dream of mine to, to honor the land, not just for myself, but for the ancestors who t- mm-hmm. stewarded this land before me and for the, the future generations that will be on this land. And it's just, you know, because I felt so grateful that I was finally able to buy a house and it happened to have land. So I wanted to practice reciprocity of that gift. That's so, wonderful. Yeah, it's been fun. Reciprocity, rewilding, regeneration, yeah. resilience, restoration, a lot of mm-hmm. R words mm-hmm. that could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. But that's beautiful. Now, I do have giant gardens, <laughs> too. Like, I, I, you were just saying, 
you were just saying something about how you know what it's like to to live out of like little container gardens and stuff. Well, I went from mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum to the other because this year <laughs> I've got, you know, we've got like three massive gardens and, you know, I thought, oh, I hope we have such an abundant summer of produce and vegetables and flowers and herbs. And, you know, about, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was like, I am so burned out. I've got so much like tomatoes, green beans, uh, okra, you know, just you name it. And it's like, I'm swimming and oh, zucchini and yellow squash and pumpkins and cucumbers. And it's great, but I didn't think about the other side of that equation. Like you have to be ready to work with this food, you have to be ready to do something or else, yes. gonna, you know, or, or have people to hand it off to. And so, you know, just baskets and baskets of, of produce. And uh, so now I'm learning all about canning, fermenting, dehydrating, freezing, pureeing, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like tinkering. Wow. So it's like, I, I can't, you know, if we do this again next year, I have, we have to get, um, some woofers or some, some like yeah, you do. some live-in yeah. support or an apprentices or, or something because yeah. Well, you might was, get some, uh, you might get some interest off the podcast. Yeah. And you just, just get in touch <laughs> yeah, with me totally. if you want to yeah. live in North RV, Carolina on her that's land. That's right. We have RV <laughs> hookups. So come on down. <laughs> <laughs> Ample parking day and night. <laughs> yes, I'll put you to work. I'll put you to work in the kitchen <laughs> and on the land. So yeah, I was like, um, went from one extreme to the other. I'm sure there's like a, a balanced middle ground there that, you know, I'm looking for eventually. <laughs> I got really gung-ho. So. I mean, that's so exciting to have the space that you can steward. So I can just imagine being like, yes, we're going to put all this food in. And then <laughs> yeah, when late summer hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, what, what were we thinking? I'm eating okra every single day, <laughs> which I can't so much mucilage. About that. Great, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm wondering too, with your native plant sanctuary, is this a space that you want to share with the public, or is this going to be just more for like this is about the plants and tending the land specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you envision the space moving forward? That is a great question, and one of the things about becoming a member of the Botanical Sanctuary Network is that United Plant Savers would like to see that you're providing some sort of education based on your work with the land. And mm-hmm. so I feel that, uh, you know, eventually I would love to have like a, like an educational trail just to walk that, that path. And, and, you know, cause I love giving herb walks anyway. So, you know, mm-hmm. herb walks is like the most ideal way I think of, of doing that. Or, you know, I dream of having like a yurt with a community center and, and having little classes in there and teaching people about how to propagate and how to support these plants or how to work with invasive plants. And, and so, yeah, that's part of the dream. So, so we'll see about that. I haven't welcome people there yet outside of the family. But yeah, I'm excited about the potential for that possibility. Speaking of new projects, you will have an herbal coming out next year by National Geographic. Tell us a little bit about that. That sounds really cool. Is that like a field guide or an herbal book or? It is. It's a, it's a herbal. And so not necessarily a field guide and not necessarily a cookbook because, you know, I want to do a cookbook one day. 
but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's just 99 plants from around the world, and we have nine chapters. And each chapter is followed by a highlight of different herbal traditions. So we have, you know, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and, and then some more traditions that haven't received a lot of attention, like uh, curanderismo, which is the Latin American folk healing, and uh, the Gola Geechee herbal ways, which a lot of Gola Geechee community is out here on the outer banks of the East Coast, the Southeast. And... So, yes, highlighting different traditions, there's Celtic herbalism, and, and, but most of the book does highlight attention to conservation and, and attention to uh, ethical practices. So it's not an invitation to go out and, and pick all these herbs in the wild. It's more, you know, just teaching people about how to respect these herbs and the cultures they come from. But also just telling, you know, their medicinal qualities and, and, and what they look like in the field and, and where they come from and, and you know, what, what herbalists use from. One thing I did try to do in this book is center the herbalist because a lot of herbals out there aren't really from the perspective of herbalists. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I try to bring that into the conversation of, well, the clinical herbalist might use it this way, or a folk herbalist might look at it this way, or a kitchen herbalist might, you know, want to be creative and do this. And and so, so I'm trying to, like, talk about different herbal pathways. And yeah, it's just kind of an overview of, of 99 plants. And it's been really fun. It's different for me. I've, I'm not, I never considered myself a really good writer. And oh. and unless it's like scientific writing <laughs> and, or, you know, writing, because I used to write a lot of music and like, well, that's another story, mm. but I can write lyrics, <laughs> but, but okay. not, not, uh, I don't know. It was like in my tradition, we are more of like storytellers. And I find that when I teach herbal medicine, I'm always telling stories about either how I work with an herb or how I learned this from my teachers or, you know, that day when we were up on the mountain and I encountered this herb. Uh, And so this is very different because it's more of a reference book. So I'm not writing from the first person. And that was my biggest challenge up front is to like, take it kind of like, like put it in the, in the public comments of, of uh, speaking to it in third person was, was a little bit of a challenge for me. I was like, well, if I can't tell my stories, what, what am I going to (laughs) say? So, but it was, it was fun. And I even learned a lot just in stringing these sentences together. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting process. Wow. And you said that comes out next year? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I think October, November of 23. Great. Well, our listeners will have to keep an eye out because that sounds like a really important book to have on Mm -hmm. hand. Thank you so much for writing it. Mm -hmm. Well, Mimi, another big thing that you do as an herbalist is that you're the executive director of the American Herbalist Guild. Uh And I'm just curious for folks who may not know, like, what the American Herbalist Guild is and, you know, how to get involved. Can you tell us a little bit about the American Herbalist Guild and the work that y'all do? Mm-hmm, sure. So I have been the executive director of the American Herbalist Guild for about 10 years, and it is a nonprofit organization that advocates for clinical herbalists and 
other herbalists, like just herbalism in general and for the plants. But one of the things we do is we we provide some educational standards and educational materials for for people who are interested in becoming an herbalist. And we do an annual symposium. We've been doing this for, this is our 33rd year. And the symposium this year is taking place in Bethesda, Maryland. And so that's exciting. And also a little bit like, okay, are we ready for this? Because we've been you know, everyone's gone remote for the past couple of years. So we're going to try and do this in-person experience while also having some uh, online aspects to this event. A lot of our work is centered around giving resources to people who work as herbalists or work in the herbal field. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that could be sample consent disclosure forms or how to, you know, just business skills, for instance, on on how to set yourself up as an herbalist. You know, we just try to help. And it's just a staff of like six people. There's only two Mm -hmm. full-time staff. And uh, but most of all, we're membership based. So people can join the American Herbalist Guild. Anyone can join. You don't have to be an herbalist. Mm -hmm. And everyone can go to AmericanHerbalistsGuild.org, right? Dot com. Uh-huh. Yes. Dot com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Didn't mm-hmm. know if it was org or com. Uh-huh. And a lot of information there. And, you know, try to, uh, conferences are a great place to find your mentors and teachers. You meet mm-hmm. so many great people and see what they're doing. And, you know, any conferences or events going on around you are awesome to do. So Mimi Hernandez, thank you so much for joining us today on Herb Mentor Radio. And just to remind everybody at Herbal Forager on Instagram, herbalnightschool.com. And yeah, it's been, it's been just wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Sound engineering by Zach Frank. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of Herb Mentor, your home for herbal education. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>